Welcome to Polymathic Being, a place to explore counterintuitive insights across multiple domains. These essays take common topics and explore them from different perspectives and disciplines, and in doing so, come up with unique insights and solutions. A Waste of Time? The History of Time and Daylight Savings Today's topic is a historical exploration of daylight savings time. We dive into the history of time, the surprisingly inconsistent application of daylight savings time throughout history and across the world, and explore ideas for how we could better align our time zones to our advantage. The History of Time Exploring daylight savings time needs to start by looking at the origins of timekeeping itself. Throughout history, our precision in measuring and marking time has improved in fidelity and capability in measurement. Originally, you'd mark it as simply morning, noon, evening, and night. As the need to segment time increased, humans started to apply improved measurement systems that left their lasting legacy on our clocks today. For example, if you ever wondered why we have two 12-hour segments that are further divided by increments of 60, we have the ancient Egyptians and Babylonians to thank due to their duodecimal, or base 12, and sexagesimal, or base 60, numeral systems. While it might seem simpler to count by base 10, which is our main numbering system today, back in the day, base 12 was created by counting on our fingers as well, except you'd use just your thumb on your finger joints to keep count, and since you have three joints on each finger, this leads to base 12 counting. The minutes and seconds come from the Babylonian's sexagesimal system for astronomical calculations. The base of 60 was created because it's the smallest number divisible by the first six counting numbers and by 10, 12, 15, 20, and 30. We see this impact not only on time, but also in geometry, where a circle has 360 degrees. However, before precise timekeeping, these measures were split into 12 daytime and 12 nighttime hours, which work around the equinoxes, but expand and compress towards the solstices and back over time. The 12 summer daytime hours were longer, whereas the 12 winter daytime hours were shorter, with the inverse for nighttime hours. While there is a steady progression in incremental, equal-hour timekeeping, with advances over the years from water clocks to incense clocks and many others, it wasn't until the invention of mechanical clocks in the 14th century that we began to have more clearly delineated and consistent time. Yet, until this point, this precision still really only mattered for religious organizations, and specifically the Catholic Church, in their Liturgy of the Hours, also known as the Divine Office, which demanded more precise timekeeping. This is one of the main reasons why most of the first clocks were installed in churches. They helped to regulate the daily schedule of prayer and services for the clergy and the faithful. They were a symbol of prestige and wealth for the church and its patrons, and they provided a public service to the community by displaying the time. The English word for clock first appeared in Middle English and can be traced to the post-classical Latin clocka or bell. The precision of time was a benefit for the local community, but this precision was dialed by the solar noon at their location. This worked well until travel and communication became fast enough to require more standardized time zones. The History of Time Zones Time zones weren't needed until the establishment of faster transportation, specifically trains, 
and the subsequent need for consistent time for arrivals and departures. We can thank the punctual Brits for this because the slight differences in local time between cities would create issues since trains were fast enough that 9 a.m. might be 10 minutes different between east and west train stations. Therefore, the Great Western Railway established common railway time in November 1840, and by 1847, most railways were using London time, which was set at the Royal Observatory in Greenwich. An interesting artifact of the transition from local to standard time exists on the Corn Exchange Building in Bristol, England, whose clock, originally installed in 1822, has two-minute hands, just over ten minutes apart, showing both Greenwich Mean Time and Bristol Local Time. The use of a standard Greenwich Mean Time is actually older than railway time and was essential, not for timeliness, but for maritime navigation, where the measurement of longitude was a tough problem to solve. Determining latitude was relatively easy because it could be calculated from the altitude of the sun at noon, but there wasn't a solution, other than dead reckoning, for longitude, that is, eastward or westward location. In July 1714, the British Parliament passed the Longitude Act, and this established a Board of Longitude, which offered a £20,000, or equivalently £3 million prize today, for the person who could invent a means of calculating longitude. John Harrison took to the challenge and invented an accurate timepiece that could be used to compare local time to Greenwich time. He produced his working chronometer in 1759, which allowed navigators to know precisely where they are east and west by comparing the time differences. This method was critical to the success of Captain Cook's circumnavigation in 1772. Today, on maps that use lat-long coordinates, the degrees of vertical and horizontal distance are further separated into minutes and seconds, reflecting the original time basis for the measurement. Sir Sanford Fleming, a Canadian engineer, proposed the use of worldwide time zones in 1878. His idea was to divide the world into 24 time zones that were 15 degrees of longitude apart, covering the full 360 degrees of the globe. In 1884, at the International Prime Meridian Conference, held in Washington, D.C., they established Standard Time and selected the Prime Meridian, both of which were based on Greenwich Mean Time, and established the 24-hour time zones. This created four time zones in the United States, whereas before, there were over 144 local time zones in North America alone. Enter Daylight Savings. These structured time zones now divorced from solar noon, created a new problem in the world. What to do when you'd rather have more time with light in the evening than in the morning? While many people suggest it was farmers who pushed for daylight savings time, it was in fact the non-agrarian folks who wanted it. Farmers have to get up with the sun regardless because animals haven't learned to tell time yet, and a cow is ready to be milked at a consistent time, not specifically at 6 a.m. The main justification for the change Embedded in the word savings is that it would help with World War I energy consumption when European nations established daylight savings on April 30, 1916, with the U.S. following on March 19, 1918 with the Standard Time Act. This act was so unpopular in the U.S., however, that it was repealed in 1919 and wasn't reinstituted until February 9, 1942 and called wartime during World War II. 
This, too, was of limited duration, as it was rescinded again on September 30, 1945. It wasn't until January 4, 1974, during the energy crisis of that decade, that President Nixon signed into law the Emergency Daylight Savings Time Energy Conservation Act of 1973 and formally established daylight savings again. But daylight savings hasn't occurred for the same length of time either. It started as six months and was extended to 10 months in 1974 and then back down to eight months in 1975. It remained from the first Sunday of April to the last Sunday of October, about seven months, until the Energy Policy Act of 2005. This extended daylight savings from the second Sunday in March to the first Sunday in November, adding four weeks and bringing us back to eight months. Through all this on-again, off-again of daylight savings, whether it was used or not, flipped back and forth from federal to local or state decisions creating no small amount of confusion over those periods. In fact, daylight savings isn't consistent even now with Arizona, where I live, not following it. Europe having different dates for their daylight savings and many other countries that don't or never have abided by it. What has quickly become clear is that any savings in energy are limited to dubious at best. A 2011 study found that it cost Indiana residents $9 million per year in increased electricity bills. A 2008 report by the U.S. Department of Energy concluded that extending daylight savings by four weeks saved only about 0.03% of electricity consumption for the year. And a 2016 study by researchers at Yale University and the University of California, Santa Barbara, found that daylight savings time increased residential energy use by about 1% on average. What is also clear is that there are significant productivity losses for businesses each time we switch. A study by Kumara Economics and Analytics estimated that daylight savings time costs the U.S. more than $430 million a year. Another study by researchers at Cornell University found that daylight savings time increased workplace injuries and decreased productivity in the mining and construction sectors. A third study by researchers at Penn State University found that daylight savings time increased cyber loafing, meaning wasting time online instead of working, by about 8% on average. However, while there are interests in getting rid of daylight savings time, their answer isn't to go back to standard time, but to hang on to savings time. A bill introduced in the U.S. Senate in 2022 and reinvigorated in 2023 aims to do just this. In fact, Florida voted to ditch the switch in 2018 and retain the summer, non-standard time, but couldn't implement it because the U.S. Congress only allows maintaining standard time. This is why Arizona is the only state who doesn't follow daylight savings time. And we want the sun to go down earlier in the summer, so our evenings are cooler anyway. There is a function of some practicality in maintaining daylight savings time year-round, where, in American temperate latitudes, the sun rises at about 4.30 a.m. at the summer solstice and sets around 7.30 p.m. Since standard clocks and business times were set closer to the equinoxes, and most people are asleep at 4.30 a.m., it was seen as more practical to pretend that 4.30 is actually 5.30, thereby allowing people to wake up close to the sunrise and be active into the evening light. The vested interest in maintaining daylight savings time are mostly around outdoor entertainment like golf, 
whose clientele typically participate after work, and so the extra daylight hours in the evening allow greater recreation. When I was in Denmark in August 2022, because it was so far north, it stayed at near daylight brightness until well past 9pm. It made touring the beautiful city of Aarhus much easier after a day at work. Because of this desire to capitalize on summer daylight hours, in 1895, George Vernon Hudson proposed a two-hour time shift to the Royal Society of New Zealand, and although it didn't pass, it is interesting to consider what benefits an even longer time shift would have. In summary, it's interesting to consider that our marking of time is more rooted in archaic methods of keeping time rather than what is most useful for humans. Before precise timekeeping, it didn't matter when you went to bed or got up. Over the years, we have become incredibly tied to our clocks, with school, work, and businesses selecting certain hours for operation. Yet, instead of our time being pinned to solar noon, we could adapt, like Hudson suggested, to a two-hour time shift. Or we could leave it. But what becomes clear are two things. First, it isn't about saving anything. And second, we shouldn't keep changing it. I think it would be really interesting to select a time in a zone that best adapts to what those residents deem best. Arizona remains on standard time. Florida wants to stay on daylight savings time. And there's no reason why this shouldn't be possible. I just found the whole investigation to be very interesting and much less consistent than I originally thought and opened up an entirely new idea of adapting our time zones. If you go to this essay on polymathicbeing.substack.com, there is a poll at the end that I'd love to see your vote on. Would you rather keep daylight savings as it is, stay on standard time all year, stay on daylight savings all year, give us two more hours of daylight, or other, and please comment with your idea. Thanks for listening to Polymathic Being. We'd love for you to subscribe on Substack at polymathicbeing.substack.com, where you can read, comment, and share these essays.